0: Good morning. It is, uh, it is a privilege and an honor to be up here to open God's Word. It's such a joy to consider all that God has given us. Uh, one of the songs that we, we sung this morning, Speak, O Lord, it really speaks loudly and clearly about uh, what we do up here, the preaching of the Word Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. It's a a supernatural thing and and, uh, it's something that is uh, beyond every one of us who who fills a pulpit. And I thank you all for your prayers and and, uh, it, it means a lot since I don't get up here very often. I feel like I should put like a student preacher sign up here <laughs> or something. <laughs> Anyways, let's. So this, this psalm, Psalm 1, it's, uh, it lays out for us two ways. The way of life, that of the blessed, they are the righteous, The ones who have faith in Christ, and being in Christ, they enjoy the faithful care of God. And because of this care, they bear fruit to the glory of God. And it lays out the way of death. These are the wicked, the ones who reject Christ. They go their own way, rejecting God and his commands. They have no fruit of lasting value. Psalm 1 lays it out for us in just six verses in a very abrupt and vivid manner. The first half of the psalm, verses 1 through 3, describes the blessed person. The second half, verses 4 through 6, describes the wicked. So this sermon will come under two headings, two main headings. One, the way of the blessed, and two, the way of the wicked. The way of the blessed breaks down into three subheadings, verse one, what they don't do, verse two, what they do, and verse three, what they are like. And then the way of the wicked breaks down into two subheadings, what they are are like, and their final end, verses five and six. So the pattern of this psalm is, is like going up a peak, it's symmetrical. And it's going up one side and down the other. And on the top is verse three, with a description of the fruitfulness of that blessed person. And from there, it's a quick downhill slide uh, to the end of the wicked. So before we head up, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness in preserving it, in giving each one of us, making it available to us in, in the English language that we can understand. And Lord, help us, help us by your Holy Spirit to understand it today, to take it to heart, open up our hearts and minds to see the wonders of who you are and what you've done. And I pray for those that are here that do not believe, I pray that you would bring them to faith. Lord, do this in your faithfulness and your love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The way of the blessed. We do not walk in the ways of the world. I'm gonna read verses one through three again. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all he does he prospers. In verse 1, the psalmist emphatically declares what the blessed person does not do. He repeats the same thing three times by simply describing it in different ways. We see this in, in the Psalms and the Proverbs uh, where they'll repeat something. It's a literary device where they repeat something to emphasize it. And so here the psalmist is very emphatic about what we do not do. The blessed person does not walk or live their lives according to the values of the wicked. They don't think like the world thinks because their minds are being renewed by God's law by his word. They don't stand in the way of sinners. We are not in union with those who despise God by their disobedience. In Christ, we are called out of the way in which we once stood, and now we stand upon the rock of our salvation. God warned the Israelites not to walk in the ways of the people of the land that they were entering. From the beginning, ever since the fall, God has called his people to be separate. God called Abraham, walk before me and be blameless, Genesis 17:1. The Father, as we read in our congregational reading today from Ephesians, said that the Father chose us in Christ before the creation to be holy and blameless before him, Ephesians 1.4. We do not sit in the seat of scoffers, of those who, like Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him, that I should obey his voice? I do not know the Lord. That is the, the saying of the scoffer. So don't walk, sit, or stand with the world. You can almost see the progression or a digression, a little compromise on how you act or think. Soon you're taking your stand with the world. Before you know it, you've taken your seat among the scoffers. We've seen this throughout church history. We've seen it, we see it in our day. Professed believers caving to the cultural pressures of this world of the the passing pleasures of sin and they take the eternal unchanging truths of God and set them aside as something negotiable the apostle paul said what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness second corinthians 6:14 so we can't walk in the ways that the world walks. We can't live how the unbelievers live. Christ has changed us. The Holy Spirit has changed the disposition of our hearts. The sin we once loved, we now hate. And the things of God we once scoffed at, we now revere. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We delight in God's word. Blessed is the one who loves God's word and consumes it wholeheartedly. What do you delight in? What do you love? What captures your affections? The psalmist cries out in 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And in verse 103, he says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The psalmist, his delight is such in God's word that he meditates on it day and night. It's such a wonderful thing that it occupies his thoughts. It's an easy thing to fill our thoughts with that which we love. With those things that we delight in. We talk about it. We sing about it. We tell others. Do we hold God's word as precious? Do we know its exquisite value? Again, verse 127 from Psalm 119. I love your commandments above gold, fine gold, If you own just one copy of the Bible, you have wealth greater than gold. But do you do the work to make that treasure your own? If you had gold buried on your property, I'm not talking about a few measly coins, but hundreds of gold bars left by leprechauns, (laughs) worth millions. (laughs) Would you go to the effort to find it, to dig it up, you might have to miss a meal or two. You might miss a few reruns of your favorite TV show. You might lose some sleep, getting up early and staying up late. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 13, 44. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy. Think delight. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He was willing to give everything to gain earthly treasure. What are we willing to give or to expend to obtain eternal treasure? Paul prayed for the Ephesians uh, for the saints in Ephesus, and I'm sure our Lord intercedes for us in this, and for us in this as well. He prayed that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 17 through 19. We hold in our hands the very words of God. It contains greater riches than all of creation because it reveals God himself and his great salvation. What does it mean to meditate on God's word It is to think deeply about it, to ponder it, to consider its meaning for all of life, to drink deeply its life-giving waters, to feast upon the beauty of God's holiness. We simply start by reading it. We hear it preached. We sing the word. We pray the word, preach the word. We display the word in the the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. Study it, memorize it, teach it. Parents, teach your children. I'm not talking about seminary level theology. We're just talking about reading the word and simply explain it or explain it simply. and pray for the Holy Spirit to open up your minds and hearts. The psalmist prayed again in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. Do you struggle in your motivation to earnestly get into the word? So does the psalmist. Again, he prays in verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Martin Luther said before he entered into prayer that he would often read through the Psalms until his heart was warmed and his passions were raised. Do you want a lesson in delighting in and meditating upon God's word? In the next few weeks, I would urge you And even over the next year, maybe for the rest of our lives, do this. Thoughtfully and prayerfully read Psalm 119. Read it out loud. Let it fill your mind with the greatness of God's word. Let the passion of the psalmist ignite your heart. Again, read it out loud before the Lord. It will become your prayer. And remember to pray Verse 18, open my eyes that I might see wondrous things out of your law. And verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. And ask God to kindle a passion in your heart for his word. To love the word is to love Christ, for all of scripture testifies about him. So God's word is our delight our meditation day and night. It is the very food and drink for our souls. It is what abundant water and fertile soil are to a fruitful tree, a prosperous tree, as we will now see in verse three. So we're reaching the top of that peak, verse three, seeing the fruitfulness of this blessed man. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The prophet Jeremiah paints a similar picture. In 17, 7 through 8, he says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, and it does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The blessed person is fruit bearing. The believer, all who are in Christ, is like a fruitful tree planted and perfectly supplied by God with everything for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, as Peter puts it in Second Peter 1.3. Trees don't plant themselves. you probably notice that. And they certainly don't supply their own water. There must be someone who cares for it and prunes it, like the vine in John chapter 15, so that it has a vine dresser, So that the fruitfulness of the tree or the vine is certain. Jesus said, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing, John 15, 5. And in verse 8 he says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So what has God done for us? that it will be certain that we bear fruit to make this fruitfulness in us a sure thing. He has planted us in Christ. He has filled us with his Holy Spirit. He has given us his word and he has established us in his church, which we might say in one sense is like a greenhouse, the most perfect place for us to grow and bear fruit So what is this fruitfulness? What's the nature of it? What is this prosperity? Is it spiritual? Is it material? Is it both? It's spiritual fruitness. It's spiritual fruitfulness and prosperity that God is talking about here, not material. How do I know this? Look at verse four. The wicked are not so. Do believers prosper material? Yeah, they do. We can just look around and see that. The prophet Jeremiah saw that in his day, and he complained to the Lord about it. He said, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them, and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You're near their mouth and far from their heart." That's from Jeremiah 12, 1 and 2. You know, God is sovereign over every single person and he places them precisely where he determines to do so. He determines where each one will be born and how each one will live He tells us it's in Acts 17, 26. And God endows each one of us with various gifts and abilities and it's everyone's responsibility to use those gifts for his glory. The ungodly, while they may be rich in the things of this world, are not rich toward God. They have nothing in them to commend them to God. When I talk about spiritual fruit, I'm using it, I'm using that term spiritual like the Bible uses the term in reference to the Holy Spirit. Not like the word gets tossed around today. Someone will say, I'm not a Christian, but I'm spiritual. The Bible has a term for that type of spiritual. It's called of the flesh. So we are either of the spirit or we're of the flesh. God tells us that those who are of the flesh, cannot please God, Romans 8.8. 8. They cannot bear fruit or prosper in the way that God has commanded us to do so. So what does this fruit look like? What is the fruit that God is looking for in his people? What is this fruit that he is forming in us? God is looking for the fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12, 11 says that our Father's discipline yields in us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is not the imputed righteousness of Christ, but Christ being formed in us. Paul said in Galatians 419, I am in anguish until Christ is formed in you. And in Romans 8, 29, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness, uh, the image of his son. So we are not only clothed in Christ's righteousness, we are being formed into his image. We're being transformed. We are, being grow, we are growing in righteousness, a picture of Christ. Galatians 5 through 24 describes this fruit, this fruit of righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, fruitfulness, faithfulness, excuse me, gentleness, self control. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, so we no longer walk in the ways of the world. Dear saints, this fruitfulness and prosperity are true riches. To love God with every fiber of our being, to love all, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, to walk in all his ways that he has so faithfully commanded us in his word. To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, Ephesians 3:18 and 19. All the riches of Christ make all the riches of this world seem like dust on a scale. It's nothing. Just one puff of wind like pfft, And it's gone, not a trace. We bear this fruit, not for ourselves, but for God and others. Just like Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the fruit that he bore, he bore to the glory of God, of his Father, for the salvation of all his people. We bear fruit. In all circumstances, for God is faithful and He will do it. So remember, God planted us in Christ to bear much fruit for His glory. We who are in Christ can't not bear fruit. This peaceful fruit of righteousness will not fail, again, because God is faithful and He will do it. Okay, so fasten your seatbelts. we're on top of that peak and it's a quick downhill slide to the, to the other side, to the bottom with the, uh, with the end of the wicked. So verse four, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. No fruit, no prospering, nothing but chaff. The wicked walk in the ways of the world They live according to the flesh and not to the Spirit of God. They are driven by their sinful appetites, to which they are held captive. Their wills are held captive by sin, as Jesus said. Therefore, they do not fear, they do not, excuse me. Therefore, they do not bear any fruit of eternal value. They do not prosper in the things of God. They despise the riches of Christ. Their lives, as good as they might look on the outside, are fruitless. Since they scoff at the idea that the Bible is true, that God is calling them into account and warning them that they will soon perish in their sins. And they reject the gospel, the very power of God to save, as a mere myth. So they are like chaff. What is chaff? It has no value. Chaff is that skin that covers a a kernel of wheat. And when they harvest the wheat, they would spread it out on a threshing floor and they would separate that skin from the kernel. And then they would take a fork and they would toss it in the air and the wind would carry the chaff off and they would gather the, uh, the grain. John the Baptist, he used this metaphor of Jesus when he said, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's from Matthew 3, 12. It's not good to be chaff. So the godly bear fruit to the glory of God, but the ungodly have nothing to show for their lives. No fruit. Nothing of God or the blessings of Christ. Nothing but chat. So we come now to the final end of the wicked, verses 5 and 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All will stand one day before God, Hebrews 9:27. It is appointed for man once to die and after that to face judgment. But the wicked will not stand on that day because without Christ, they have nothing to stand upon. Only those who belong to Christ will stand on the day of judgment. Jesus illustrates it like this. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone that hear these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man that built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Matthew 7:24 and 27. So the righteous will stand in Christ He was the rock of our salvation on that day. But the wicked we swept away by the torrent of God's justice. Most people who don't have faith, who don't have faith in Christ, they think they're okay with God. They flatter themselves with the thought that they're pretty good. And most are on a worldly level. They have what Augustine called a civic righteousness. They're nice people on good terms with their neighbors, but they're at war with God, and God is at war with them. God lays it out in Isaiah 64, 6, like this. He said, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, our sins, like the wind, take us away like chaff. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That's Hebrew for a dirty diaper. That's all the ungodly have to show for their lives. Without Christ, there is nothing to look forward to but a fearful expectation of the wrath to come. They will not be counted with the redeemed but rather, as Jesus said in Matthew 25:30, cast a worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't think it could be more black and white. There's only two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, following Christ or following the world. The wicked perish and the righteous live. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That means that God lovingly and wisely keeps his people. The word know does not mean that God merely has knowledge of of who we are and where we're going and what we're doing. Of course, he knows all that. He's all-knowing. But it speaks of loving intimacy that he has with his people all those that he has redeemed all who believed in his son we see the same meaning in the word no when jesus says in matthew 7:21 through 23 not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Of course, the omniscient God, Christ, knows everybody, but he didn't know them didn't know them in a redemptive way. Jesus knows his sheep. His sheep know his voice, and they follow him. He gives them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of his hand. Let's see John 10, 27 and 28. The wicked perish because they refuse the shepherd's call. Oh, that they would cry out to him for mercy and he would save them. He would rescue them. Know this. The shepherd, the Lord Jesus, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but he will no no means clear the guilty. You see Exodus 34, 6, and 7. The wicked will perish. They will die in their sin without hope. So we looked at two sides of this peak. We have seen the blessed person, the godly, ascending the mountain to a glorious and fruitful And their goal in Christ is for us to prosper in him. And we've seen the wicked, the unbeliever, descending from whatever heights they may have achieved in this life into judgment and wrath for their sin, separated from Christ and the goodness of God forever. We have the grace of God in the lives of the righteous. We have justice in the lives of the wicked. We have God's gracious fruit in the lives of believers, and we have barrenness in the lives of unbelievers. The way of life or the way of death. Life is only in Christ by believing in him. Death is in every so-called way out there. Take your pick. As the Proverbs said, There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. If you don't have faith in Christ, call out to him. Keep coming because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the preaching of the gospel of the word of God. Pray to God to have mercy to save you and give yourself no rest until he does. Remember, God loves to show mercy. To all who are in Christ, let us continue to dig deeply into the riches of his word, that we may may walk in all his ways, that we may be fruitful and prosperous for the glory of God for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ and for the good of the world around us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your instruction in these things. We thank you for the assurance of your grace in our lives that that the work that you're doing in us will continue and that it will come to a glorious end when we come before you and in your likeness, when you're raised to newness of life. Lord, we look forward to that day, and we pray that you can help us to continue to drink deeply of the riches of your word, and we pray for those among us that do not know you And we pray that you would enlighten their hearts and minds, that they would see you, they would come to you, and they would trust you and be saved, amen. Let us remember now what Christ, our Lord, has done to bring us into this blessed relationship with himself, reconciling us to God and bearing our sins in his body and shedding his blood for our cleansing. We invite you to join us in communion in this celebration of the Lord's table. If you, are, if you have believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, are baptized and are committed to this church or another local church where the gospel is faithfully preached, um, please come forward to receive the elements and return, come up the middle aisles and then return around the sides. And when everyone's seated, we will take it together as Christ's family. One more thing, let me read Paul's instructions from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered from you You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray one more time before we come forward. Gracious Father, thank you again for sending your Son into this world to bear our sins, to shed his blood, to bring us to yourself, to reconcile us to yourself. We who were once enemies are now your dear children, and we celebrate these things as we take this cup And we take this bread and remember your death until you come again. Amen.